We're going to be in the fourth chapter of Mark again. We're actually going to finish it this time. I mean, Lou, excuse me. Luke. Luke. Sorry. Today was it's verses 31 through 44. And um, let's open with prayer, please. Jesus, once again, we just ask that you enlighten our darkness and cause us to see things that we can't see except with spiritual eyes. And Lord, there are so many things like that that you reveal to us on a gradual basis. But I ask that this would be one of those times that um, we see more than we have seen and we understand more than we've understood because your word is deep, Lord. But it's not so deep that you can't open it to us so that we are enlightened further. And Lord, we love you and we love your word and it's in your name that we just ask these things and are comforted in your presence. Amen. <coughs> Last time, a few weeks ago, uh, we've actually divided this chapter of Mark into three different messages. And the last one, we saw Jesus in, um, in Nazareth. And this particular section begins when Jesus travels to Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's left Nazareth where he grew up and he left because they wanted to kill him, which makes no sense at all unless you read and just see the hearts of men and what's important to them and what they love and what they don't love. Jesus had read from the scroll of Isaiah in the temple or in the synagogue. And Jesus said the passage referred to him. He is the Messiah. And it says many spoke well of him, but a number recalled how they had seen Jesus grow up and how they knew his parents. They knew his brothers and they knew his sisters and they wondered, how can this man be special? Which just happens when there's a lot of familiarity with a person. And then you see him do things that you can't understand. And their doubt increased the rage when Jesus told them how Elijah and then later Elisha ministered to the Gentiles or the Gentile women rather than to Israelites. There were a lot of Israelites that had leprosy, but only one was gone to and that was a, uh, a Gentile. And many people were hungry during the famine, but only one received uh, an overflowing cruise of oil. And it was a Gentile. And when Jesus reminded them of this, of things that they should have known, and why would they get enraged? Because it's their own scripture. But they did. And it says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Or 
wrath, as the Scots say. Then they sought to kill him, but he passed through them. And now I'd like to read the, the passage, and we'll probably read it not completely through it again, but some of it again, because it, it needs to, to make a, an impression on our heart. And reading through one time and not thinking about it leaves us not a whole lot wiser than when we started. But in 31, beginning, it says, And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy me? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? But with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. And notice that's a plural, spirits, so more than one. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had, had, who had any who were sick with serious diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. The demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. When they came, when the day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also for I was sent for this purpose he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea when you read the Bible you find the demons are specifically mentioned and only a very few times in the Old Testament and that's pretty remarkable because almost every tribe Every ancient culture had common beliefs about demons, and they spoke about them a lot. But in the Old Testament, it's very little. Deuteronomy 32.17 says of the, the rebellious generation that died in the wilderness, they sacrificed to demons which are not gods, or which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recent 
constantly appeared, gods our fathers did not fear. And Psalm 106, 36 and 7 says, They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. The implication is that demonic beings, real demonic beings existed behind the gods and goddesses of the pagans. And Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians 10.20 where he says, The things the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. There are other Old Testament passages, passages that may allude to the demonic, but overall, very little attention is paid to demons in the Old Testament. The Old Testament rather concentrates instead on God, the creator and redeemer who is sovereign over every power, natural and supernatural. And likewise, there's relatively little demonic attack activity reported in the New Testament and the epistles. Because after Jesus returned to heaven, or not because of, but after he returned to heaven, there's just very little mentioned about demons. Other than brief views of increased demonic activity in histories that are revealed in the book of Revelation, this is nearly all that part of the New Testament has to say about demons. A little bit in Acts 5 and 8 and 19, and then in the book of Revelation. And other than that, again, it's very sparse. What we do find, however, is that when you get into the Gospels, they're full of references to demonic activity. Why in the Gospels? Probably because the kingdom of God has arrived and it's under attack. Satan's kingdom is very aware of what's going on and they're fighting back. There's a desperate battle going on for his kingdom, or this kingdom, or the kingdom, excuse me, of, of Satan against the attack of Christ against it. First John 3, 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of the devil, but Jesus said, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We know that demons are fallen angels. They're deathless creatures serving Satan. And having joined Satan's rebellion, they were cast out of heaven to await final judgment. Their minds are permanently set to oppose God, oppose goodness, to oppose truth, and to oppose the kingdom of Christ, and also the welfare of human beings. They're defeated enemies whose limited power is prolonged only for the advancement of God's glory as his people contend against them. But now Jesus is in Capernaum, the home of Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And the verse says, Jesus went down to Capernaum, not because it's south of Nazareth, but because it's at a lower sea level. Anytime they talk about going down in Scripture, it's always going from one elevation to a lower or a higher one. If 
they go down, it's to a lower sea level. If they go up, it's to a more mountainous region. Luke 5 records healings on the Sabbath, and this was the first. Excuse me, I'm saying there are five recording of healing on the Sabbath in Luke, and this is the first one that's mentioned here in this section. Jesus teaches teaching caused astonishment because he thought he taught with authority. So how was this any different from the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees? Originality was not highly prized by the scribes. In fact, they did everything they could do not to say anything except what their esteemed teachers before them had said. For example, Rabbi Eliezer said, Nor have I ever in my life said a thing which I did not hear from my teachers. And similar statements came out from a lot of rabbis. So they didn't prize saying anything that was new. Jesus didn't do anything like that. And the authority he spoke about with impressed the people. Hearing Jesus was sort of like um, hearing from someone who wrote the book rather than someone that had just read the book. And it showed and all the people recognized this authority. Let's look at verses 33 through 37 once again. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with you, Jesus? With each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, it came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading even unto every locality in the surrounding districts. Jesus was in the synagogue teaching as he always did. And there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit. And it really shouldn't surprise us that this could happen because what better place is there for demons to spread discord and strife than in the synagogue or in the church? This demon used the word us because there are more than one in the man and he calls Jesus the Holy One of God. In verse 41, a little later, the demons called Jesus the Son of God. They knew him to be the Christ. All three titles are essentially synonymous or synonyms. It's obvious the demons know that Jesus can destroy them. In an encounter with demons in Matthew 8.28, the demons ask, Have you come here to torment us before the time? And here in Luke, they ask, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
demons know their fate is sealed. A holy war has been launched and they know it. James 2.19 reads, You believe that God is one, or there is one God, some translations say, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder or tremble. The demons screamed and Jesus said, Be quiet and come out of them. And the demon came out, throwing the man down without harming him. The Jews had all kinds of exorcism rituals. And most of the time they came with shouting and jumping and all kinds of human shenanigans in their attempt to cast out demons. It could get pretty noisy with all the shouting and loud cries. And Jesus performed this exorcism quite simply. He's commanded it and it happened. The people were amazed and they said, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about Jesus spread everywhere. He was becoming a public figure during this time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all agree that Jesus was received with great favor everywhere in Galilee, except Nazareth. And again, as I mentioned last time, there's no record that he ever went back to Galilee again. I mean, to Nazareth again. Years ago, it was, I think back in the 19th century, it was popular to call this period of Jesus' life the Galilean Spring, (coughs) in contrast to the later period of his life, which was called the Jerusalem Winter, indicating how he was received so well in the first part and obviously not so well in the second part where they fought the crucifying. This episode of Jesus casting out a demon and healing the man is a vivid demonstration of what Luke meant in verse 14 when he said Jesus came into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Verses 38 through 44 again says, Then he got up, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the man was sitting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on each one of them he was healing them demons also were coming out of many shouting you are the son of God but rebuking them he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ when day came Jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them but he said to them I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. From the synagogue, Jesus went to the home of Simon, the home of Peter. 
and he found Peter's mother-in-law suffering from a high fever. And Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that tells us it was a high fever. And evidently, a high fever is a medical term. And Luke is a physician, and he recognizes it, and so that's why he uses the word that none of the other writers use. So it indicates the severity of the fever that she had. And Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and served them. She didn't take any time to recover because she was instantly and totally healed. And you know anyone that's ever had a high fever, it, it doesn't immediately leave their body in perfect condition to get up and do something. You're pretty much drained for a period of time. But that shows the immediacy of the healing and the totality of it. And this is the only account in Luke where Jesus addressed his healing words to the disease and not to the person. He speaks to the fever. And the fever was rebuked just as the demon was in verses 35 and 41. Does this mean that there was a demon behind the fever? Um, it's just speculation. We don't know. But we can read some of the things that sort of indicate that it might have been. It says, when the sun was setting, many came to Jesus with their sicknesses, and Jesus laid his hands on each person and healed them. Why did they come when the sun was setting? Because the Jewish day is from evening to evening, and at sunset, the Sabbath was over, and they could be healed. Before then, it would have been against the law and they would have been in deep trouble to ask for healing or to bring anybody on a stretcher that would be work so when the sun set the sabbath was over and you see the crowds coming to jesus and there's a personal touch in that jesus laid his hands on everyone every one of them and healed them and this was an unusual procedure you don't find it anywhere in the Old Testament nor in any of the rabbinic literature that this was ever done. But Jesus did it. And again, the demons recognize that Jesus is the Christ. The Galileans may have thought Jesus was no more than a man, but the evil ones didn't make this mistake. They knew who he was immediately. Jesus, however, is not going to receive any witness on account on, on, from demons. People should realize who Jesus is on account of his words and his deeds, not any kind of testimony from evil ones. And the next morning it says, Jesus went to a secluded place, and Mark adds that it was to pray. The people did not want to lose Jesus, but when they found them, Jesus refused to stay with them. His response was, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. The kingdom of God was the favorite theme of Jesus' teaching.
it's a large subject that would take paragraphs to get into, but condensed down what it means is God's rule in action. The Jews look forward to a time when God would assert himself as king over the nations, and Jesus taught that God's kingdom had already come in him, and the authority with which he combated evil. The kingdom is a present reality, yet is still to come in all of its fullness. Jesus' activity is summarized in Acts 10.38, where Peter is speaking. He says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And that brings us to the end of the chapter. And to me, this is one of the chapters that's so full of so many things that we have a tendency to overlook. And when we finish, we might know one or two things that it said, but we miss so many of the finer points. It's, it reminds me of something that uh, Francis Schaeffer said. He said, Christianity does not begin with Jesus wants to heal you of your sin. Christianity begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason he said this is because so often we start, when we talk to people, about Jesus wanting to take our sins and forgive us and bring salvation. When people don't even know what sin is, they don't know what salvation is or why they need it because they don't know anything about in the beginning. And if you don't know anything about the story, and one person calls it the story of reality, what happened in the beginning, what happens in the end, and everything of any importance in between, it's the story of reality. And most people today don't have a clue because they haven't been taught. They're not church. You talk about Abraham, they're clueless. You talk about David, they're clueless. So you can't start and say, Jesus saves you from your sin. They don't know what sin is, and they don't think they've got it if they know what it is. So you have to be able to, to start at a place that gives a little bit of a background and to know what a devastating, destroying thing sin is and how it destroyed a people and it destroys every culture there is when they turn away from God. And Jesus, he doesn't act like the rest of the people when he comes. He knows who the demons are. He doesn't allow them to speak you know, later the Pharisees say that you cast out demons by the power of the devil. So Jesus is not about to let demons testify for him. And let the Pharisees say, well, see what we told you. The demons are endorsing you, so you must be a part of them. And there are other reasons, of course, too. He's not going to let evil testify about him in any account. And you see the things that 
are customs for the Jews that are so completely unbiblical and you just pass right over it without realizing how it contradicts what scripture says. Anyway, that's a little too simple for us at the end. Let's pray. Lord, we want our eyes open. We know, Lord, how, how little we understand, how we're accustomed to reading quickly and forgetting quickly. Help us, Lord, to absorb what you say and see and understand, Lord, how it, it's reality and how it affects our lives and the lives of those that we love. Help us to be able to teach and to explain and to empathize. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.